Welcome to Creativity School. This is the podcast all about how to tap into your creativity and get your greatness out of you and into the world. I'm your host, Grace Chan, and each week we'll get lessons on how to start the thing you've always wanted to start and learn the tips and strategies you need for how to be awesome at it. If you're one of those people that feels a calling to do something, make something, or be something more, if you want to start shining your light and share it with the world, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to episode 17 of Creativity School. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a great way to listen to your books the way you listen to podcasts. So if you love podcasts, you're probably going to love using Audible. I personally love it. If I'm not listening to a show, I'm listening to a book on Audible. I listen basically almost every day when I'm walking my dog. And the book I want to recommend today is You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. I've mentioned before how important money mindset is, and this book is a really great way to start getting into that, especially if you've never done any of this kind of money work before, but it's really important to start getting down and getting into the root of it, especially if you want to make a career and a living with your creativity. So I highly recommend that book. If you want to get started with a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial, you can head over to creativityschoolpodcast.com slash audible. You can head over there, get your free audiobook, get a free month membership, and there's over 180,000 books to choose from. So if you don't like my recommendation, you can browse and see what you like. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. I hope you all had a great week. I did. It went by really, really fast. I set up a poll in the Creativity School with Grace Chan Facebook group because I was really curious where you all are on your creativity journeys. And the majority of you, it looks like, would like to turn your creativity into a full-time job. So if you haven't already, I really recommend you go back and listen to last week's episode with DL Sharon. That was all about how to start a side hustle that is successful. And she had some really, really amazing tips. I also started my career as a side hustle. And it's something that I recommend because I think, first of all, it just feels a lot less scary to do a side hustle. And you can really have the freedom to experiment and play with pricing and just see how the market is. You have a lot of room to grow and focus on your creative passions without necessarily feeling a ton of pressure because you still have a day job. So go check that episode out if you haven't already. And before we move into talking about this week's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to a member in the group. Simone shared that she's taking a class for writing young adult work. And she says it's so much fun. And she said she really wanted to invest in her craft because she was feeling stuck and depressed. And now she's feeling invigorated. I love, Simone, that you took the steps to take this class. And I love even more that this is actually helping you feel better and re-energized about your passion. So thank you for sharing that with us. And for those of you that want to join the group, you can just find the link in the show notes or go on Facebook and search Creativity School with Grace Chan. Today's episode is with Sarah Carson, who is a celebrity dog trainer, an internationally renowned dog trick trainer, and she was also a finalist on America's Got Talent Season 12. She ended the show placing number five. Her run on America's Got Talent was incredible. 
And she's got an amazing story, you guys. Today's episode is all about how to believe in yourself when nobody else does. And I don't know if that's something that's relatable to you, but basically her entire life, Sarah was told that training dogs and trying to build a business and career out of performance and training them was completely silly and ridiculous. Her family members didn't believe in her. People at school made fun of her for hanging out with dogs on the time. Nobody thought she could do it. And fast forward years later, she goes on a America's Got Talent, and she ends up doing so well. So I mentioned Sarah is a dog trainer, but I feel like those words don't even really describe exactly what it is that she does. And because this is an audio medium, I'm going to try to do my best very, very quickly to explain it. So she basically choreographs dog trick after dog trick after dog trick, like rapid fire one after another set to music. So it's like watching a really cool performance slash dance. It's really high pace. It's tons of fun. And the dogs look like they're having so much fun and they're doing amazing, awesome tricks. So anyway, going back to people not understanding Sarah's vision and what kind of work she wanted to do with dogs and going back to America's Got Talent, during the auditions, a couple of the judges didn't even really understand what she was doing and they heavily criticized her while she was standing on stage. And what happened after was sort of a historic moment on America's Got Talent because Simon Cowell went up on the stage and vouched for her. It was an incredible moment to witness as a viewer, but it was so cool to talk to Sarah about her whole experience with America's Got Talent, what happened on that stage, and everything that happened in the weeks to come. I mean, how often do you get to hear about the behind the scenes of somebody competing on America's Got Talent? So her whole experience was incredible. What's so wonderful about her journey is that she overcame all the haters, she overcame all the lack of support. She has a fan base all around the world of people who love to watch her do her tricks and perform with her dogs. I'm going to link some of these performances in the show notes because you guys have to see this. The way her creativity manifests into something that is so joyful, not just for her, but for her dogs working and performing next to her, it is such a joy to watch. But we talk so much too, just how do you believe in yourself? How do you work up to the point where you believe in yourself so hard that you move to LA, you pursue your dreams, and you go after some really big aspirations when everyone else says that you're absolutely crazy? We talk about that. We talk about dealing with online criticism. We talk about so much more. I loved talking to Sarah. She has such a great story. She has so much awesome advice to give. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on Creativity School today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you on. I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start with you. You are an incredible dog trainer. You're a celebrity dog trainer. You were on America's Got Talent season 12. You were a finalist. I think they just had you back recently, right, for their champion season? Yeah, I was on the very first episode of Champions. It was really exciting. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so cool. You have an app. I mean, you're performing everywhere. What an honor to have you on because I cannot wait to dig into your story. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I love sharing it. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, cool. So the first question I always start with is, what did you want to be when you grow up and how do you see that connecting to what you're doing today? 
That's a good one. Um, I actually saw myself, and when I dig back, like in my school projects and whatnot, I always said that I'd see myself being a veterinarian. And I have a lot of learning disabilities, and I, I, <laughs> I don't know why I saw myself doing that at the time, but I would never pass vet school. So <laughs> I don't know why I actually thought that that was even a thing, but I, I guess it kind of ties into being a dog trainer, and I get to teach people and teach dogs, so it's kind of being a vet at times. It totally is, yeah. And did you want to be a vet because you loved animals so much and you wanted to help them? Yeah, I, I think that's was probably what it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're totally still doing that now. And it's so funny because I wanted to be a vet when I was a kid too. It's kind of <laughs> like, I feel like it's like the stock answer for children when they love animals, yeah. right? Like yeah. you don't know <laughs> what else to do. So then how did you get into all this incredible stuff you're doing today? How did you become a dog trainer? So I was about eight years old when I got my first dog and I just loved spending time with him. And I didn't know anything about dog training. I didn't know anything about dog sports or any of that, honestly. So I was watching YouTube videos and I just learned how to train dogs. I have my mentor, Zach George, who I pretty much watched every single one of his videos at the time. And my spaniel ended up being an agility dog and he could do a couple fun tricks. And I pretty much studied, studied online. And that's how I became who I am today. I watched a, a lot of videos. <laughs> and how old are you when you started doing that? Oh, God, probably like 10. Because the first couple of years, it was just me spending time with my dog. And then I really got into training after watching a couple of Zach's videos. Did you ever think that starting that at 10 years old would lead to you doing this now as an adult? No, I did not. Uh, I knew that I wanted to pursue it and I wanted to continue doing it, but I didn't know at the time how far I would actually get by doing it. Wow. So then, wait, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, you're 10 years old, you started watching YouTube videos, you were training your Cocker Spaniel, but then you wanted to be a vet. Like, How did that play into your life as you continued getting older and you know moving through? It, it definitely gave me kind of the inspiration and the passion to continue training. So my parents at the time didn't really like dogs and I had one and they're like, that's enough. You have a family dog. That's cool. So I actually ended up renting a doggy daycare at night and running my own dog training classes. That way I could work with other dogs because I wasn't allowed more of my own. So I just continued to pursue it and kind of dive deeper into the training of everything. And I just, I learned by experience and I, I got better by working with more people and working with more dogs. And then I got a little more obsessed with it because I absolutely enjoy it. So yeah, I just, I, I did a lot of training at a very young age. Wow. Yeah. How old were you when you started renting the doggy daycare at night and training other people? I was about 15. Oh my gosh. You're so young. <laughs> Yeah, I was 15. I was just finishing high school and I was working retail. I don't want to say a family business, but my, my grandma pretty much worked at this retail place. So I would kind of work there and then do school and go and teach classes at night. Were you getting paid for those classes? I, I, yeah, I was doing well. And then I wasted it all on competitions with my Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> oh, okay. So you were, you're, well, first of all, that's super cool that you were 15 years old and you basically started your own business doing, doing what you loved. And then you took that money and, and invested it into doing competitions with your dog. Yeah, yeah. What kind of competitions? Um, so we would do dog agility, and that's kind of where my passion for dog training started. Um, we would just do like small little obstacles in the backyard. I had no idea what I was doing, um, and that slowly grew into actually competing 
at a nice high level. So it was a learning experience and definitely made me grow as a trainer because I started to learn about all these different dog sports and all these different things you can do with your dog. So for those listening who don't know what agility is, how would you describe that? It's pretty much an obstacle course that you run with your dog. Okay. And you have to sort of train them as you go through that, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's various different obstacles. There's jumps, tunnels, weave poles, contact equipment. And in each agility competition, you get a map and the map tells you what order you have to do these in. And so you have to memorize the map and then go out there and do it with your dog. And it's pretty much the fastest wins, but the fastest and the most accurate wins. Okay. Interesting. I don't know very much about the, the world of dog competition and dog <laughs> sport, so that's really cool. And I can see watching what you do now with your dogs and the way you perform, I can totally see how you know your past in doing dog agility would play into that because, yeah, that totally makes sense. So America's Got Talent, that happened, was that 2017? It was, yeah. Okay. So I just have to say something funny, by the way, because I had put out a casting call on Instagram around that time and you responded and I had said, well, everybody needs to sign a photo release. And you said, well, I'm in LA doing something that I can't tell you what it is. So I can't sign a release. And I, said, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, that's cool. Let's still be friends. And then I found out you are on freaking America's Got Talent. Like that blew my mind. That's so funny. So let's talk about this, okay? Because I want to know, what were you doing before that happened? Oh, man. Um, so before America's Got Talent, I was traveling the United States performing with my dogs. So I'm from Canada. Um, so I came here just after I graduated college and started working for a company called Stunt Dog Productions. And they are a touring stunt dog show, which is super exciting and super fun. And I've got the opportunity to just travel with them and perform full time, which made me not only drive across the United States, but pretty much visit every single state except for Alaska right now. So that was very exciting. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And then what happened with America's Got Talent? Like, did you see an audition somewhere? How did no, that happen? So it, it was a little different for me because I have a lot of viral videos of me and my dog performing. So they actually saw it and they were in touch with me pretty much once a year, every single year, like wow. for the past seven years. Wow. Yeah. And I was Canadian and I didn't have a work visa, so I couldn't come and do it. So once I came over and I started working for this company, I had the capability of going and auditioning. And I thought we were pretty prepared. And I still, to this day, look back at my audition and I'm like, that was probably one of the best dog auditions that show has ever seen. But like the original outcome of it was pretty devastating, to say the least. Well, okay. So we're going to rewind a little bit. So first <laughs> of all, I didn't know you had viral videos. Like yeah. what was that all about? Were you just posting videos of you performing with your dogs online? Like, do you have your own YouTube channel? How did that happen? Pretty much. Yeah. So I have a YouTube, um, but my first viral video actually was on Facebook. I don't even know who shared it to make it go crazy, but I was teaching a workshop in North Carolina. We made a cute little video that I thought would, I don't know, it was just a routine. So we filmed the routine, we posted it online. And then in the morning it had like 22 million views. What? It, it was, it was insane. <laughs> That's insane. What kind of routine? Was it like one of your dancing routines? Exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was a complete freestyle. Like we just played the music. I did it and we posted it. Like it was nothing thought out, like planned. It was just for fun. And it, I mean, it ended up looking really nice. <laughs> it was, it was fun and good and I don't know, entertaining, but 
Yeah, it was 22 overnight. It was crazy. And just for people listening, because this is an audio medium, so they have no idea what we're talking about, but (laughs) (laughs) your routine with your dog, was that with Hero? Yep, yep. In that video? Okay, so to describe it for people, it's basically like you're doing a really fun, upbeat dance routine and your dog is moving with you. Yeah, I I pretty much describe canine freestyle like doing tricks with your dog to music. Yes, there's a couple tricks that make it look like you're actually dancing with your dog. But for the most part, it's just the dog is doing tricks and you're dancing with them. It's so fun to watch. So in the show notes, actually, you know what? I want to get the link to this video you're talking about because I actually feel like I might have seen it. (laughs) It sounds really familiar. I've probably seen it just because I love, you know, dog videos. So we'll link it. And for those of you who have never seen this before, it is so exhilarating to watch, especially you and Hero, Sarah. When I watch you guys perform, it almost brings like a tear to my eye because (laughs) not only do you look like you're having so much fun, Hero and your other dogs look like they are having so much fun performing and working with you. Like there is a palpable joy and energy in in the movement. Yeah. It's it's pretty much just a game to them. Hero is a little unique. He, He needs to be bribed to a certain extent. I have to have one cookie in my hand or he will not do it. But like I have one dog, Loki, who I don't need anything and he just loves, loves, loves to do it. But yeah, Hero's Hero's funny. (laughs) So when you're doing your performances with him, you always have a little treat in your hand? Yeah, and if you pay pay really close attention to one of my hands, it's always closed because it's holding some food. Oh my God. When do you pay him? When do you give him the food at the the very end? end, yeah. What a good boy. Is that why he, like, you know, sometimes when I watch, there's a lot of drool coming out of his mouth. And I thought it was because it was hot. He was hot. Is uh, it like a combination of heat and wanting the food? Yeah, I would say it's a combination. Because there's, yeah. there's been times where he's just like doing a foot stall where he jumps up on my feet and there's just like a stream of drool. <laughs> yeah, so. That's where I see him. A foot stall is when you're laying on the ground and he jumps up on your legs, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I see the drool rain it's down. So gross. <laughs> So that video got 22 million views overnight. What was that like waking up and realizing that? I honestly don't even know. Like I thought it was fake. (laughs) Like I just opened up Facebook and so many people messaged me like, oh my God, he went viral. Oh my God. Like, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I finally went and looked. Yeah. Like that's, those are real people watching the video. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, you know, with, with a video like that going viral, does that impact your work? Like, did, did you find yourself getting more leads for work because of that? Yes and no. It's mostly just exposure. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard for people doing stuff with dogs to actually get jobs. I feel like it's, it's one of those things that's pretty unique. So it's like, if it fits the bill, then it works, but it, it's a very unique situation. Mostly yeah. it's just exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exposure is really good too because then America's Got Talent found you. Yeah. And you were invited to audition. So you guys listening, um, I was a little late to this interview actually because I went down the rabbit hole on YouTube watching all of Sarah's videos with Hero. And <laughs> <laughs> I watched this live when you were on because I was so motivated and inspired by your journey. But rewatching it again, I just got teary because your story was crazy. And so I just want to take us all back to auditioning because the footage shows you in a massive room with hundreds of people. <laughs> is that really how it is when you show up? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of intense. <laughs> and then you guys are literally just one by one going on stage and, and auditioning. Correct. Yeah. We get to make friends with all the other contestants, which is probably my favorite part. 
Okay, I just got goosebumps and wanted to vomit. <laughs> I, like, I wanted to vomit a little bit. Imagining you sitting in this room just waiting for your turn to go out on stage. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Were you terrified? I was, I was pretty nervous. They kind of keep you pretty busy, though, with all the filming and the interviews. So you don't just sit there for X amount of hours, thankfully. Um, but yeah. you're around, so it's a lot of waiting. Okay, so then you get your moment on stage. You're wearing like a really cute sort of Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean outfit. You have a sword. Yep. Right? You do your thing. And then what happened? So you actually need to have a minimum of three yeses to go through to the next, uh, they call it judges cuts. So in order to get through the next round, you have to get three yeses. And I ended up getting two yeses and two noes, which meant that I was going home. Yeah. <laughs> And then, I mean, what was that like, first of all? Like, you give your best on stage, and then you have these judges. I mean, they were saying some sort of mean things. Like, Howie Mandel was like, this should be on Medieval Times. <laughs> and, and he was like, I didn't see a single amazing trick. Yeah. I mean, I would have crumpled on the stage. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty terrible because you kind of like – you don't just go on America's Got Talent with a random talent. This is something you've been doing for years and years and years. And you normally, you look at yourself as the best in the trade. So when you go on America's Got Talent, you expect to wow the judges and for them to not be wowed and for them to actually be confused was really heartbreaking. And I had been told my entire life from family and from friends that what I was doing was ridiculous and it was a waste of time and it was never going to get me anywhere. So to go on there and get these people that you have watched on TV for years to be like, no, I didn't get it. That was stupid. It's hard. It's really disappointing. And it, it I took it to heart. <laughs> yeah, that's really painful. But I have to say what I thought was really cool was that the entire audience was booing them. Well, because yeah, it truly was an amazing routine. And he did some dog tricks that had never even been seen on the show before. So it was, it was kind of, interesting. <laughs> it was very interesting because you had the entire audience eating out of the palm of your hand. <laughs> I mean, you really did. Your routine was incredible. You guys listening should go on YouTube and look it up because Sarah's routine with Hero, I mean, it was so cool. And Hero had like the swashbuckling sword in his mouth and it was just so well choreographed, incredible tricks. Audience loved you guys. I think you guys got a standing ovation. Mm -hmm, yeah. And then you have Howie and Mel saying like they weren't impressed. Yeah. And then Simon Cowell gets out of his seat and goes <laughs> on stage with you. Yes. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it made me cry more. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I was not expecting that. God, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say besides to cry. And I'm pretty sure I like fell to the ground and just started petting Hero because I was just in shock of what just happened. <laughs> First of all, I think he kind of fell in love with both of you guys. He did, he, yeah. He vouched for you so hard, and he kept telling the judges, I see something in these guys that you aren't seeing. Yeah. And then he got you through. Yes. Yeah, he changed uh, Howie's vote from a no to a yes. And he, I think he said that was the first time he's ever done that. Yes. Yeah, it was. Do you guys have like a, like a special relationship now, like a friendship? I, I wish. <laughs> Like, are you training his dogs oh, to finally sit? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, no, like people do think that once you've been on the show, like, you know, the judges and your buddies, but no, I have no contact with him. Maybe one day, maybe one day, but not right well, now. <laughs> I thought the way he vouched for you and the way that he recognized what you were doing on that stage was so incredibly special, was 
amazing because like I said, this is an audio medium. So for people who don't understand what you do, it's like this incredibly choreographed routine with dog trick after dog trick where, you know, for most of us who own pet dogs, it's like, you know, your dog sits and then you give them a reward, right? And with you, it's like you're doing trick after another after another for you know, a few minutes, like for long enough to be like an entire song basically. And your dog's eyes are just locked on you. You guys are like so connected to each other while you're working. You're basically working together. It's just so magical and beautiful to watch. And I personally was so thankful that Simon recognized what he was watching before him. Yeah. He, he was a judge on Britain's Got Talent for many, many years. So he's seen some incredible dog acts. So I also think that he kind of realized, like, we've never had an amazing dog act, like, on America's Got Talent. The Olati dogs are great. They won five years ago, but they're more of, like, a circus dog act when mine is just me and my dog. And you can build, like, that relationship with me just by watching me on TV and, like, getting to know me type thing. So it was a little different than what has been seen on the show, like, in the past. That's a good way to put it. That's uh, that's a good comparison because past acts with dogs are very much like circus dog acts where it's like dogs lining up in a yeah. line and kind of like jumping through hoops. And like you can't, I, if I asked you like name me one of their dogs, like you can't. Yeah. They're just like the Olati dogs. But with me, it's like most people actually know who Loki is because I brought him on the show once. But yeah, it's uh, a little different. Yeah. I think it's such a testament to you just building this incredible relationship with your dogs. And we get to see that connection unfold through a really high impact, fast paced (laughs) choreographed performance. It's so fun to watch. And every performance you did on the show just kept getting better and better. Like, can you tell us about that experience of choreographing a routine for each show you did? It sucked. (laughs) (laughs) why um so we would have like a week if like I think the most we had was a month and that was for the uh first live show and in my opinion that was one of the best routines because we had so long to plan for it Mm. but every other routine I mean yeah uh we had maybe three weeks like and that's like the most and then it just got worse we had one week for that one the beach scene for the semifinals we had a week because we were actually supposed to be in the second week, but they're like, nope, we're going to push you to the first week. Oh my um, God. And they, I mean, they did it out of, out of their heart. They really did because they're like, well, if you get through, then you'll have two weeks to plan for the finale. And I was like, if I make it to the finale. Right. Um, and we thankfully we did make it to the finale and we had two weeks to plan that. And the big finale for that one was our ball pit pool. And that was driven from Wyoming to California and we had a day to rehearse with it. Oh my God. Okay. So for those listening <laughs> again, basically Sarah had a gigantic ball pit filled with plastic balls. And what happened? Well, the idea of it was that Hero was going to jump off of an elevated platform and catch a toy midair and then land in the ball pit. And in rehearsal, that didn't happen. It was pretty scary because we literally had one, one session. And I don't mean like a whole day. We had maybe 15 minutes to train and practice this behavior before performing in front of 52 million people live. Oh my God. So that's why if you rewatch the finale, when Hero finally jumps in the pool, I look like I'm a serial killer. Like <laughs> I am just, I have this huge smile on my face. My, I, like I look scary. And it's because I was just so happy that he actually did it. <laughs> 
It was amazing. He basically ran really fast, took a flying leap. He looked like he was flying across <laughs> the stage. And then he grabbed a toy in his mouth and then fell into the ball pit. Yep. That was mind-blowing. Thank you. That was <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how you do what you do. Like, First of all, how do you come up with the ideas? Um, so thankfully, they do have a really good creative team. So I would pitch them all of my ideas and they would come back at me and say, no, no, no. And then, <laughs> then they would give me their ideas. So it was like a team effort. I actually flew in a couple trainers that were friends and I had a lot of help behind the scenes just to wrangle dogs and come up with all of the creatives. So they, I mean, AGT gives you a lot of support once you get to the live shows. They build all the props, they build all the costumes. For, another funny thing for the live shows, for the finale, their original costume for me made me look like an avatar <laughs> and not in a good way. Like it was just a blue, purple, silicone costume. Like it was bad. I straight up looked at them and I was like, no, I'm not wearing this. And so three days before the show, they actually had to custom build me a costume that looked more Guardians of the Galaxy-ish. And it ended up working. But I have photos of these costumes. <laughs> and it's pretty bad. <laughs> so, well, your your Guardians of the Galaxy costume was beautiful. And I think it was Heidi. She totally called out how beautiful you looked in yeah. it. That's amazing. Yeah. You looked amazing. Wow. So, you personally, when you're coming up with these routines, like what is your process of doing that? So I pretty much get a piece of paper and the very first step is to pick the song. Once I have the song, I start at zero and I write out zero, zero, dot, dot, zero, zero. And then let's say I'm going to do two tricks. So I'm going to count out how long those two tricks are going to take me. And then I write out how long it's going to take on the piece of paper. So I go down the line and I get the entire song written out with like next to that exactly what I'm going to do to each part of the song. So it's very particular. <laughs> that totally makes sense though, because it goes exactly with the music yeah. you're performing to Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I've been, I've been doing that for years and years and it's never failed me yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so that's what you did in like the week you were given on AGT. Yeah. I actually have right. all of those pieces of paper still probably. Um, wow. A few of them are on like backs of napkins and yes. <laughs> yeah. It got pretty savage towards the end. <laughs> Wow. So you choreograph that all out. You find the right music. How does the actual training play into that? So the best thing about my dogs and myself is that we did not go on AGT without tricks. Like all of my dogs are trained. They all knew hundreds and hundreds of tricks. The hardest part is just making the routine and then having myself memorize it. There were a few tricks in there, like playing volleyball and like, God, what else did he do? Just like there's a few other tricks that I had to teach. Oh, the CPR trick. I taught, yeah. I taught that in four days and that's why I didn't look so clean on TV. So basically you guys, Sarah was laying down <laughs> on like a beach set and then hero comes and starts jumping on her chest with his two front paws. Like he's giving her CPR. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just trying to imagine like for a, a trick like that, how do you train that? Like, are you laying down and then somehow directing him to jump on you with two paws? Like, what is, how does that break down? Yeah, so there's technically two parts to it. The first part is the jumping up. And then the second part is to putting his mouth on my mouth. Honestly, it's just two tricks. So if you look at it like that, it's not as scary. So the first part is me teaching him to bounce on a pillow. So bounce two front paws on a pillow. And then I put the pillow on my chest and then I would lay on the ground and ask him to do it. So that's the first part. And then the second part, is he targets my hand with his mouth 
And then I put my hands on my mouth, get them to target it, and then remove my hands and get them to target the same spot. So it's just about breaking it down and making it super simple. Wow. And then your dogs are all rescue dogs too? Hero is not a rescue. He's from a farm in Canada. Loki is a rescue. Thor is a rescue. Marvel is a rescue. And Groot, my new one, is from a breeder. So do you choose your dogs knowing that you want to work with them? Like, do you find dogs with that kind of temperament and drive to do that? Yeah. So the, all of the rescues were pretty much, they just had so much energy that they kept being taken back to the shelter or they, or like the ones that are rehomes, the people were just going to drop them off at a shelter because they couldn't handle them. I'm looking for dogs that have a lot of energy, want to play with toys, want to eat food. A food driven dog is the easiest dog to train. But yeah, and then the other, I look for looks as well, because all of my dogs, I like to say that they're, they're pretty. So I pick dogs that have a really unique look. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because some people don't understand that dogs really like working, especially certain breeds. Mm-hmm. So to be specific with me, you know, I had a photo series that went viral called Zoe and Jasper. Zoe is my dog. Jasper is my son. And I had two dogs at the time. And people always said, well, why did you do it with Zoe and not maybe? And it's because Zoe actually likes working. She likes posing. You know, as soon as the camera comes out, she's wagging her tail and wants to be involved and maybe hated that. And it's like, I'm not going to make a dog do something that they don't like. But you know, I found it interesting because a lot of people, we talk about criticism on the show a lot and people always have something nasty to say. And even when it's something that's just so beautiful and joyful, like a photo series of a dog and a baby, right? And so a lot of people would criticize and say, how could you do that? Why are you making your dog do this? And it's like, but she likes it. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Like, I'm not doing it with my other dog. I'm very sensitive to working with my dogs and I wouldn't make a dog that didn't like doing this, do it. Do you face that kind of criticism ever? I face that criticism all the time. You can't win with people. And Mm -mm. like you kind of said, like people don't understand that there's working breeds and there's dogs that like to work. My dogs are all working breeds. They're border collies, Australian shepherds, cattle dogs. And even if they get past the whole working breed thing, I do a lot of pretty crazy stunts with my dogs. One of them can jump five feet, 10 feet in the air and catch a Frisbee off my back. And then she lands on the ground. Well, then people comment on, oh, you're going to destroy her hips and she's going to be crippled and all of this stuff. Uh, And the hero also like dancing on his hind legs. People say that that's dangerous. But like you said, they don't see what happens behind the scenes. So my dogs are on so many supplements. I can't even name them all. My dogs run on treadmills. They use FitPaw equipment. They use underwater treadmills. They go swimming. Like they do so much conditioning behind the scenes. It's not like they're just overweight pets doing these things. They're trained professionals. It's like any athlete that you see. It's really hard to kind of just shrug it off my shoulder when people talk negative about what I do because they don't know. So how do you deal with that? I try and educate as best as I can, but there's this magical thing called the block button. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even respond anymore. Oh, and I don't delete their comments. I just block them. Because Mm. I've been doing this for 14 years now. I just don't have the time. It is cool because I have such a large fan base. It does get to a certain point where my fans actually respond to people like this now. So if that happens, I can just leave it. But if somebody is just trying to cause something, I just hit that magical button and it goes away. 
Yeah. Good for you. I feel like taking the time to respond to people like that is just a waste of your precious time and energy too. And I used to do it all the time. I used to respond and it would just make me angry or just make me upset. So it's just best to not. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, if we're tying this back to creativity, you know, for a lot of my listeners, they're just starting this creative journey of putting their work out into the world in whatever form that is, right? I mean, I have you on, you're a dog trainer, right? But we all have our unique gifts and that expresses in its own unique way. And putting it out into the world can be really scary because dealing with people's criticism can be really scary and you take it personally. Like you said, when you were on stage and you put your heart and soul into this and you have judges criticizing you, how do you deal with that kind of criticism? And what kind of advice do you have for people? Honestly, if people are trying to criticize you on what you're doing, you're doing something right. Mm. It, it depends because obviously there's going to be a time where someone points something out and maybe they're right and you just didn't know. But for the most part, if you're excelling at what you're doing and you're surpassing all these other people and one of the people mentions something, it's because you're doing something right. So I would just let it go. Let it go and just keep doing what you're doing because like I said, you're winning and you're doing something right. So it's something that you kind of just have to learn over the years of doing it, but everybody's going to be jealous. Somebody's going to be more jealous than the other, but it's just something that has to work itself out, I guess. <laughs> and so you said for you, it took, you know, years, some time <laughs> and learning over the years. Yeah. yeah. Like if we go back to the beginning, you know, what were some things you did to help you shrug it off? Cause I think that is so much easier said than done, it is. don't you think? Oh, yeah. And there's still days where I want to do it. My fiance's like, Sarah, let it go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, oh, God, at the beginning, I wasn't like that. Like, I'm a much different person. I mean, I'm 24, so I'm a lot older than I was when I first started doing this. At first, I would respond, and I would make a fight about it. And I would make a scene, I guess you'd say. You don't ever want to look like the bad guy. So if somebody is, like mentioning something or let's for example say like oh my gosh like you're overworking your dog your dog looks tired I would just respond with thanks for your opinion I'll make sure that it doesn't come across that way next time or just something simple Mm -hmm. and nice just to make you not look like the bad guy because it's easier to just respond like you need to you need to just leave me alone you don't know what you're talking about like let's see your dog do this or something something ridiculous but I think that it just comes down to just being the good guy and just either deleting their comment, blocking them, not responding, or just simply responding and be like, so sorry you took it that way. And like you said, it's easier said than done. I've just learned over the years to just leave it. Just don't even deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I like what you said about not feeding the negativity by being negative. I think that takes practice too. It does. Because you know, automatically you really just want to defend yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? In anger. You know, I've had to hold my tongue. I've been a photographer now for 12 years and God, I have had to hold my tongue so much or even like sharing behind the scenes, the gross, gross stuff that people have done to me. And I can't share it out of professionalism, you know, and not wanting to be like the bad guy, like you said. And especially in this day and age where once you put something online, it is there forever. 
um, I think it's really good advice just to remember to use some self-control, right? And be the bigger person when you're responding to somebody or don't respond at all. And the thing that's really helped me too, and I think this is harder when you're starting out because your confidence level is not as high. Like I imagine now, Sarah, for you, you've been doing this so long. You've had so much success. You know you are effing (laughs) the best at what you do, right? Like you are badass. No one can say anything to you that's going to shake that. I feel like that with my photography. I'm kind of like, you know, you can say what you want about my work, but I know my work. I know the value of my work and I know what I'm doing. So sticks and stones, right? I don't care what you have to say. But in the beginning, man, that's hard because you're starting to build your confidence. So for those listening, I would say if you are just starting out and somebody has something nasty to say about you, number one, remember that the work we make is not meant for everybody, right? Not everybody is going to love the work that you make. And number two, go back to yourself. Like, Go back to having your own self-confidence and knowing that you are amazing and you're doing the best that you can and you love the work. Exactly. So it doesn't matter if other people don't like it because you love it, right? That's exactly true. Mm-hmm. So what has life been like now for you, Miss Sarah, after America's Got Talent happened? Oh, man. Well, I, I call California my home now, so that's exciting. <laughs> that is exciting. I'm not traveling as much, which is nice. I, I fly a lot but I don't have to drive halfway across the country. I can just fly and be there in a couple hours. With your dogs? Um, yep, yep. So I, I normally fly with one dog. And if I fly with two, it's a little more difficult, but I've done it. What else? I teach workshops still like I used to. I, I don't know. I think the biggest thing, which it actually came out while I was on AGT, is my dog training app. So I actually had a pair of developers reach out to me just before America's Got Talent. And they had this app that they wanted to do and they just needed a dog trainer. And I hopped on board. I think it's one of the number one Android dog training apps and like the second biggest one on Apple right now. But uh, congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah, it's doing really well. And we have so many incredible plans for it. Um, it's called Pupper uh, and it's like I said on iOS and Android and it's my baby right now. I'm trying to trying to make it better and Alice and Michael are just like the best people in the entire world and I'm just so blessed to be able to work with them. So it's a nice project that we have going on. That's really cool. It's Pupper spelled P-U-P-P-R, right? Yeah. And it's a dog training app. You said, is it free or do people pay? How does that work? So it's free to download and it comes with a couple free packs and you pretty much pay for the price of a coffee. You can unlock a pack and it's like, what is it? Seven tricks, I believe. And there's hundreds, like, I think we're almost up to a hundred tricks now. So it's a lot and it's just in your pocket. So we have a lot of exciting new things coming to it too. Um, So we're going to have a lot more opportunities for people to just pick up their phones and train their dogs instead of having to pay hundreds of dollars to go to a class. Uh, They can just pick up their smartphone and it's all right there for much cheaper than that. So we're getting there. <laughs> one step at a time. I love time. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, everything, everything, you know, we put out into the world, it's all one step at a time. Yeah. So that's so cool that that's something that happened, you know, while you're on the show and it's continuing to build. You don't have to get into the specifics, but does something like an app make you money? Um, eventually it does. So right now we're just putting it all back into the app. So okay. like advertisements, we're going to start doing the trade shows and stuff, but eventually, yeah, it can be a form of income. So eventually like maybe three, to five years down the road, but <laughs> that's good to know because I think people think, "Oh, I have this idea for an app, and I'm going to become a millionaire." Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, probably- you have millions to put into it first. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, is it like you need to 
put a lot of money in and developing sort of the back end of it? Yeah, I mean, we, we just hired an Android developer. So that's taking funds from any profit. So everything's going back into it. And that's going to be for, I would say, a couple more years until it's actually profitable. That's so cool. I don't know anything about the app world either. So that's really interesting and really good to know. Yeah. So then, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about believing in yourself. And I heard you say actually while you were on the show that being on the show, you know, was really helping you to start believing in yourself. Can you talk to us about that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, uh, long story short for the AGT portion of it, we placed fifth on America's Got Talent and we were the only top five finalists that actually didn't have a golden buzzer. So we worked our way to get that fifth place spot. And that alone just boosted my confidence. I I feel like the entire journey was a big confidence booster, but it just helped me kind of realize that I'm, I'm actually good at what I do. Cause like I said, auditioning for the show and pretty much not getting on the show, I was told my entire life that what I was doing was extremely silly and I would never have a career in dog training or performing for that matter. So being on the show and placing fifth and getting as far as I did just really helped me in general. I had—I mean, I still do, but I have a lot of anxiety and depression and all of that fun stuff that comes with being in Hollywood. But mm-hmm. it does—it helps knowing that I did something that I don't even know if a dog will ever get into the finals again. So it's—it's it's just something that that helps me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really bad at explaining that. <laughs> Well, no, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think, first of all, having a dream and then having people that you love not support that dream and actually go as far to tell you that it's ridiculous and you're never going to be successful at it, that's really painful. I think that's really painful and so hard to overcome something like that. Like, What do your family members think now, first of all? (laughs) They don't think anything. The only people I talk to is my grandma and my dad, to put it Mm -hmm. in perspective. That part of my story from AGT was not a lie. I don't have any communications and they don't even want to communicate with me. It's something that actually I think helped form who I am today because I'm a very, like, I hate to say it the way, but I'm a strong, independent woman. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's just because of how I was raised and how everything kind of happened. Like I would take a bus to get to my dog training facility. Like my parents would never drive me anywhere. They wouldn't, well, I hate to say parents, but my dad was extremely supportive. Let's leave it there. But they didn't think that what I was doing mattered. They didn't think that I was good at it. They thought it was silly. They didn't think it would ever pay the bills. So now that I can actually say that it does and that I'm good at it and I'm successful and I've won all these awards, it definitely helps my confidence. And not only just in like social matters, but just like in general, I guess. Oh, I just, I'm clapping. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. I'm just so proud of you for overcoming all of that. And I think that what you said about being able to take those hard experiences and channel that, channeling that into becoming the strong, independent woman you are today, I think that takes a really high perspective to be able to see something so hard and painful that way. And I think that's so important for those listening to know that, you know, everybody has something really hard that they've overcome, or everybody has something really hard that's happened in their life. And I think what really helps is to realize that those hard moments are obstacles for you to learn something from and grow. And I know that sounds really cliche, right? But it's kind of the truth. No, it's true. 100%. Yeah. And so do you have any advice for people who want to start their own creative journeys, doing amazing things in the world and don't have any support? Because I think that is so hard. Let that fuel your fire. And that's cliche too. But Literally, let that be the fuel to make you pursue exactly what you want to pursue. 
I did what I did just to show those people that I could do it. And then it's my passion. So I'm not going to stop. It only made me better and it gave me more confidence to actually do it. So yes, yeah. I love that. Success is the greatest revenge. It is. Yeah. Funny story. Like that one family member actually got off social media the entire time that I was on America's Got Talent because she couldn't stand seeing me on the computer. Oh so I was like, ha, I won. Wow. That made me feel great. I was like, good. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. And maybe one day I'll have a TV show and I'll have a book and that person will never be able to go to the store because they'll see my face or never be able to turn the TV on because they'll see my face. So Man. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about criticism, this has come up on the show quite a bit where, you know, when people are that reactive or say horrible things to you or have to like not go on social media because they're so jealous, that says so much more about them than it has anything to do with you and what you're doing. And again, it it just stems down to jealousy. Like it it really, truly does. It, It just, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I really like what you said about taking that and using it to fuel your own fire because I totally agree with you. You know, for my own personal experience, when I was in art school, you know, it was a master's program. So it was like a four year, three or four year program. And halfway through, there's this thing called a midpoint review where the director of your program is looking at what you've done so far. And they basically tell you how you're doing and, you know, what you need to go moving forward. And she, looked at my work and basically told me I sucked and that, (laughs) yeah. And she was like, I'm barely passing you. She's like, you're kind of not very good and I'm barely passing you. And then, you know, I had a teacher later who he was teaching one of my classes. He took me aside one day and he's like, Grace, I just have to tell you something. You're not very creative. And I think you'd be better being a producer. And I took both of those experiences as a really big F you to both of you guys, right? Because you could go one of two ways. You either take what they're saying and feel really bad about it and be like, oh my God, you're right. I suck. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do this again, which, you know, I think for a lot of people, you could go that way. But what's the other option? The other option is be like, F all of y'all. I'm actually really good and I'm going to show you what's up. And guess what? Now I'm here today. I want to be like, David, you didn't know what the F you were talking about. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. So what do you think is the hardest part about what you're doing now? (sighs) Training people. Training people. I don't know. Like one of the biggest things I'm doing right now is doing board and trains. So people drop their dogs off and I train them and then I go to their homes and I train them. And I mean, Mm. that is probably the easiest way to do it because the dog is trained. So if the dog's not listening, something's wrong. But yeah, I think the hardest part is the teaching people because this dog training is not something you just learn overnight. So you have to train the owners how to actually be a trainer to a certain degree. They still have to keep the structure in the dog's home and make sure that when they ask their dog to do something, they have their dog's attention. And yeah, it's that's probably the hardest part about my job. I'm actually so surprised to hear you say that. I would have guessed it was like the nerves of performing yeah. in front of 52 million people. Like, does that get to you? Do you get nervous before you perform? I, still, I get nervous every time, every single time. And it doesn't matter if it's four people or million people. It's still exact same. Yeah. I just saw you did the halftime show at the Utah yes. Jazz basketball game. Yes. Like, was that terrifying? It was you and your I don't remember a thing. I had to... <laughs> you blacked out. <laughs> All I remember is that Hero didn't mess up once. So that was good. It was an amazing performance. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was very, very nerve wracking. That was the first time I'd ever done that kind of performance. 
like Hero had boots on and it was a whole different ball game and he just killed it. So, yeah. So you don't remember anything. Do you remember what you were feeling before you got on the court yeah, to yeah, do that? Yeah, sweaty palms and I thought that I was going to throw up. And <laughs> How do you go through that and then actually get on the stage and do your thing? Like, do you have like exercises you do in your mind or anything to get you through it? Oh, man. So before I was a dog trainer, I did a lot of theater and singing and performing. And I think that that helps because when you go out on stage, you become someone else and you you don't have any stress or anxiety because you're someone else and you can't mess up. So I think that I just pretend to be somebody else when I go out on stage, like Interesting. I, I'm just hanging out with my dog. I'm just performing with my dog and we're having a good time. And then when I finish, I see all the people again and I freak out. <laughs> wow. And then, you know, I know you mentioned, especially working in Hollywood, you have anxiety, you deal with depression. How do you work through that kind of stuff? Um, I don't. That's just <laughs> something that is uh, my life. Thankfully, I have a really supporting uh, second half. I have dogs all over. I have five dogs, so that helps a lot. But I don't know. It's just something that you kind of have to figure out how to deal with on your own. Like I, I don't really have a way. It's just, I talk to people and I hang out with dogs and pet them and that makes me feel better. And <laughs> That's also really true because I find dogs are very healing. Yeah. So that's interesting that you're like, I don't have a way, but your work involves dogs. So that's like your way of dealing with exactly. it. Exactly. So I think that helps a lot. Do you have any advice for others that struggle with anxiety or depression and having it prevent them, create the work that they want to do because of it? I mean, find something that helps. So even if it's just talking to somebody, some people actually doing their passion helps. So when I go and I train dogs, that helps a lot. So just doing whatever you want to pursue, just do that and just do it. And if you have anxiety and stress and all of that fun stuff regarding that, maybe just reevaluate what's like causing it. Truly, like if I'm having a bad day, I could go train a dog and I'll feel better. And maybe that is because it includes dogs or maybe it's just because that's what I enjoy doing. I love that. You know, I had another guest, Kendra Holly, who said when she's feeling bad, she goes into the kitchen because that's her happy space. And it's like almost like going into therapy every time she cooks. So absolutely. You're 1000% correct. It's doing what you love. It is so healing. I say creativity is like a form of healing yourself. And so in doing your passion and your work, you are making yourself feel better and working through, you know, some of the inner stuff that you're dealing with. So that's a great reminder. Thank you. Yeah. So what do you think is the secret to your success? <sighs> Man, I think that the secret to my success would be my past. And we kind of already touched on it, but I truly think that every single negative experience that I've been through, I think that formed who I am today and that kind of drove me to be successful. Outside of family, I I was an outcast in school. My best friends were my teachers. People would constantly make fun of me for hanging out with my dog. And like to this day, I still get emails from some classmates apologizing for how they treated me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think that that, I think that truly built who I am today and drove me to be successful. But here's the thing is that you said you are a strong, independent woman. <laughs> Right. Which I, hey, that's amazing. And I think because of that, you were able to deal with all this negativity and come out even stronger and more independent. Yeah. So how did you become a strong, independent woman? I think it was just how I was raised. I mean, I didn't get my lunch made for me every day and I didn't get a ride to school. I had to do all that by myself. So I, I'd walk to school, I'd make my lunch, kind of just like pushed into growing up faster. 
So I like I got a job just before I turned 16 and then I did do my own business. So that was my own decision. But I think it was kind of how I raised like I wasn't coddled. I was pushed away, <laughs> which is sad. And I guess like to some would be traumatizing, but I was pushed to grow up. And that's what I did. And I guess kind of like what you mentioned, some would choose to do that and some would choose to kind of break down. And I just chose to kind of rise above it and succeed. Yeah. Yeah. We have to make the choice to be strong. Yeah. I love that. How do you see your creativity and the work you're doing with your dogs and all the cool stuff you're doing out in the world connecting to your life purpose and why you're here? Wow. (laughs) It's a big question. question. Man, (laughs) I think that I'm, I'm kind of destined to just help people learn how to live with their dogs, like in a happier environment. So I think that my, my ultimate goal is just to get people to do more with their dogs at home because a lot of people have pets and they just put a bowl of food on the ground and they eat and they exist. But when you learn to exist with your dog, I think that's when everything can change. So I think that just having me like on social media and posting things with my dogs, I think it just helps inspire other people to try and do that with their dogs, which will just strengthen their bond and make for a happier household. So And when you say when you do that and you cultivate that relationship, everything can change. What do you mean? What can change? Your dog will just be more eager to please and like eager to hang out with you. And you'll just see your dog looking to you more for guidance instead of just existing and just being a dog. It becomes more of a family member. And I think that can just just help anybody really. And it it helps people just to do something. So just by spending five minutes to train your dog a trick, it'll just make you a happier person and definitely, definitely help your dog be a a happier dog. Yeah. I love that. Um, You're really building a a deeper, stronger connection with your dog with something as simple as teaching them a trick. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool. How do you keep yourself from burning out with all the stuff that you have going on all the time? Uh, I I definitely get burned out. (laughs) So I don't stop myself from getting burned out. I just burn out, but it's kind of different. Like I just thoroughly enjoy what I do. So the only time that I would get burnt out is, for example, recently, I think it was two months ago, I flew to Florida, I flew to Texas, I flew to Florida, and then I flew home. And and I was burnt out. That was a tough trip. But again, like during those trips, I was having a good time. I was teaching, I was filming a commercial, I was filming other like informational products and stuff. So I was busy and I was doing the things I love. But by the time I got home, I like took two or three days and just like vegetated. That's good that you gave yourself that space to do that. It's really yeah. important. We talk about balance a lot. So yeah, super important. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I'm very healthy with the fact I'm like, I just work until I burn out, but I'm very, I don't know. I'm smart about it, I guess. Like I knew that by the time I got home, I didn't have anything to do. So I knew that yeah. I would have that time to kind of relax. What if you had stuff to do? Would you have like honored yourself and rescheduled it? I'm just curious. Um, I probably would have just done it unless it's yeah. like when I try and book this podcast with you and I get sick and then you get sick and then I get sick. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is like our fourth attempt, I think, to do this. I almost want to say fifth with the amount of problems I had with my microphone. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, fifth, yeah, yeah. And then me being like 20 minutes because I went down the Sarah Carson rabbit hole. In it's YouTube. okay, it's okay. I, actually, I appreciate Sorry. all the views, thank you. <laughs> 
I got sucked in. I was like, once you can start watching them, you can't stop. You guys are like Pringles, potato <laughs> chips. Once you start, you can't stop. Oh, that's funny. That's good. <laughs> what do you feel like this entire journey has taught you about yourself? You know, going out there, putting yourself out there, doing what you love, even though everyone said it was ridiculous. What has this taught you about yourself? Um, it's actually shown me that I'm a pretty strong person, even though like in some aspects of things I'm not. But I think it's just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that this whole time I've kind of been able to stay afloat and it's just because of how strong and how passionate I am for what I do. There's so many times like going, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. I, I went to college and there's so many times through the three years of college, I wanted to quit so bad, but just the fact that I could finish that something as simple as that just shows me that like I'm stronger than I think I am. But yeah, it's, it's an, that's an interesting question because it's not something you think about after everything somebody's been through. I, I truly don't think about stuff like that. I'm forcing you to think about yeah. it, girl. I'm forcing you to think about it on Literally, the show. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were a graphic design major. Yeah. Yeah. My dad told me that the only way that he would support my crazy passion is if I went to college. So he, he paid for me to go to graphic design college and there we go. I got a degree and I use it on a daily basis. <laughs> do you I really? Do. I do my own graphics for pretty much everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not the app. That's okay. all Alice. I do like all the super college stuff. <laughs> Did you do your logo? logo? I can't draw worth anything. No, oh. the logo is from Mexi Canines on Instagram. She's incredible. Uh, but I do my website, my business cards, that kind of stuff. I know how to use Photoshop, I think Lightroom. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I had no idea. And again, I think that's really cool that you have that background. Did you ever feel like you had to keep going that direction? Or were you like, I'm just doing this for my dad, the end? Well, it's funny because like in the age of like furry paws and all these like online dog games, I would make all of these like photo manipulations and I would heavily use Photoshop and I would consider myself a good photographer. So I kind of dabbled in all of that media stuff. And then when my dad was like, hey, like, what about graphic design? I was like, dude, I can't draw. Like, what are you I thought it was all about drawing and all this stuff. And yes, there was some classes that I barely, barely passed because I can't draw. But all the other stuff was things that I was kind of already doing. And I really, really enjoyed it. So it was fun. It was just the drawing stuff that kind of had me wanting to quit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what I think is really interesting about life in general, I'm I'm much older than you, by the way, but I have to say that no experience is wasted. Yeah. Even the negative yeah. ones, right? So everything you went through with your family, even your graphic design degree, is none of that is wasted on your journey now. And even for me, I have my degree in biology and I had a lot of people say, wow, like, isn't that such a waste? Because I went from biology and then went straight to art school and people were like, whoa, you studied for four years so hard, got good grades, took all these advanced like chemistry, organic chemistry. Like what a waste. But you know what? It's not because there's something to take away from every experience you have. So did not know that about you, Sarah. That's very, very cool. You know, I think I've asked this question already in certain ways, but I'm just going to ask it again. What would you say to somebody who feels like what their unique gift is, what they want to do, what their passion is, is absolutely ridiculous. And they want to do it anyway. What would you say? To them? I would tell them that if you're good at something, do it. Because like, I don't remember who said this, you'll probably say it, but like that whole quote about if you're doing what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's so true. I mean, there's some aspects of dog training that have nothing to do with dog training, like setting up equipment or like, I don't know, mowing the grass so you can train the dog. But for the most part, I don't work. Like I'm just playing with dogs. 
So if you truly enjoy something and you want to pursue that for a living, do it. Because if you continue to practice and continue to pursue it, you're going to be the master of that craft and you're going to succeed. So what's holding you back? Just do it. (laughs) What if it's somebody that's a dog trainer and they feel like, oh, there's so many other dog trainers out there. I'll never be as good as Sarah. What's the point? I mean, there are so many dog trainers, but the cool thing about it is there's so many different things to train a dog and you can master that aspect of it. So I'm not a master dog trainer, but I'm definitely extremely good at trick training and teaching dogs to do specific behaviors. If I had a dog, well, I I do have a dog that attacks other dogs. I don't consider myself a a behaviorist. I would hire somebody else to do that. So there's, there's just so many different things that you can actually do in like the aspect of being a dog trainer. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, there's enough room for everybody and you can find your own unique spin on whatever it is you want to do, even if it feels like there's so many people out there doing it. So that's a really good reminder. So this is my last question, Sarah. Thank you so much for everything you shared, by the way, up to this point. But the question I always end with is, how do you want people to remember this episode with you? Honestly, I just want people to remember or take away just the fact that if somebody is bringing you down or somebody is telling you that you are not good enough, just to show them that you are. You're just going to get better at whatever you're pursuing. So just show them that you can do it and just do it. There should be nothing holding you back except for you. So just take any form of um, negativity with a grain of salt and just pursue whatever you want to do. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners today. Thank you so much for being so unafraid to be yourself and express your amazing creative gifts into the world, doing what you love, being authentically who you are. I'm so thankful that we have someone like you in the world as an inspiration to all of us. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show on iTunes and share it with a friend. Don't be shy. Reach out to me anytime online and I will catch you next week on the next episode.